Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. New York Door is our guest today as we get back to baseball. This episode sponsored by the Well Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house providing fresh roasted coffee, along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, Downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Our news is presented by our friends at Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if you can help. Vanderbilt gets a midweek baseball win, 3-0 over South Alabama. Jack Leiter makes his collegiate debut, strikes out 12 in five innings, and Thomas Schultz finishes after him. Four shutout innings, seven strikeouts. The Commodores are 2-2 two and two and will play South Alabama again on Wednesday, and you will probably have heard that game by the time you hear this podcast. Our guest line presented to you by Bowlin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on Bowlin Branch sheets for years and loved them. Had no clue how comfortable they could be till I got them. They are fair trade certified, which means they are made under safe conditions by men and women who are treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlinBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off off your first set of sheets. Our question and answer session is brought to you by my friend Mark Gent at Simply a Fan. Mark organizes sports trips across the country, mostly baseball. He will be doing so for the baseball team at several road venues this year, also doing one for the women's basketball team as it will travel to Knoxville later in the basketball season. Okay, New York Door joins us now. He has been away from the podcast for months now because there's been no baseball, but now, thank God, there is baseball, and we have baseball to talk about, and you are here to talk baseball, so let's talk some baseball. Welcome in. I thought we were going to talk about the Democratic Murray. <laughs> well, that's that's on the agenda if we get to it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it's always great to, to see Vanderbilt baseball back, and notwithstanding, you know, some some hiccups out in Arizona, it was it's it's been a pretty expected first week for a team that came in ranked preseason one or two. Probably needs to be a little bit lower than that, but demonstrated exactly why. They are ranked. They they were ranked preseason one and two, uh, which is just sterling starting pitching potential. I came out of the weekend thinking this may not be a team that wins the SEC, but might win it all. Potentially, I think that it's going to be a team that gets better as the season goes. Of course, you got some things right now. Ty Duvall was out at first. Um. When I say first, I mean to start the season. He's obviously catching. Uh, but at first, you had Dominic Keegan, who was out, who I guess will be back in a few weeks. And so there were some hiccups going into the season. You know there's going to be some hiccups with the bats. I don't think their hitting is as bad as it looks. I think they're just not hitting with guys in scoring position, which I think will come around. But how do you size him up at this point? Because I feel like there's still going to be – some growing pains, but to me, it's also evident that they are awfully talented. 
Yeah, I think that's a good way of, of putting it is uh, there are going to be some growing pains, uh, but the upside is is huge. Here are the things that, uh, you know, I don't know, do you want to start with the good or, or do you want to start with the bad? Well, let's start with the bad and then work our way to the good. Because, I mean, and I say bad, I mean, I don't know that how much these things are weaknesses or just how much things are going to get fixed going forward with experience and health, if it makes sense. Yeah. So let's, okay, let's start with what, what concerns me long-term is a a team that is going to be built around pitching, which is what we are, um, is going to rely heavily on defense and, think it through the first three games i don't believe we had an error last night they actually haven't updated the uh, the the season stat sheets yet this morning from the tuesday performance which i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about later um but over the weekend you had eight errors all of those errors involved first base in some capacity or another uh, uh there were three errors on spencer jones um, which I believe was one ground ball, two, th- two receiving of throws. There were two errors on Carter Young on throws, two errors on Austin Martin on throws, and one error on Spencer Hayes on a throw. So three stop throwing errors, two third base throwing errors, three errors at first base. Um, Spencer Jones is probably one of the most fascinating athletes to ever come to this program. Uh, you know, we, we, we're not this year going to see why he was a top 20 prospect and competing with Jack Leiter to be the top freshman prospect to make it through the draft. As a left-hander pitcher, he is a little bit like A.J. Puck. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, fastball 92 to 95 as, as a 17, 18-year-old and a hammer-breaking pitch. Uh, you know, who knows what he'll be in two years as a junior, as a uh, six foot seven, six foot eight left-handed pitcher, throwing straight gas. Um, in his junior, senior spring in high school, he broke a bone in his elbow, which basically shut down his throwing for a while, shut down his pitching, probably led to to him being able to be gotten through the draft, um, and is the reason why he's only going to hit for us this year. He is a major two-way prospect. You can see it at the plate. His swing, uh, you know, the, the path might be a little long, but it's, it's a it's a nice swing. He's got patience at the plate. He's got what appears to be a good approach, although he hasn't had very many results in uh, positive results in the first four games played. And <clears throat> as an athlete on the base paths or or defensively, at or in the outfield, uh, I mean. He, he's ridiculous. He, he looks like he should be playing for Stackhouse, not for, for Corbin, the way he can run and get at, get at it. I mean, granted, he's a little, probably a little skinny to play SEC basketball, but the, the kid can scoot. And so he, he's really, really an interesting uh, player, but he's also clearly not either there yet defensively at first, or, you know, he didn't have the heartbeat in the opening weekend. Uh, he actually did pretty well yesterday, last night, uh, 
making a couple of nice plays over at first, fielding the position well. I think there were only a grand total of eight balls put in play all day by, or I guess 10 balls if you include the two singles, put in play all day by uh, South Alabama. But, you know, Spencer did well, um, much better than he did over the weekend. So I think we got to wait a little bit to see what we're going to get at first base. It helps, I think, that they'll be playing on turf, meaning that the infielders are going to be getting better hops, which will allow them to make better throws. The throws and short hops should handle a little more true on turf than on uh, the the dirt sitting in the hot blaring sun in Scottsdale. But we we don't really know yet what we're going to get from Spencer defensively. Dom Keegan, we also actually don't really know a whole lot because he hasn't had a lot of game action at first base. But the presumption and assumption was that he was going to be the first baseman to start the season, possibly working out into a uh, a um, platoon right-left with Spencer at first. Uh, but the assumption was that, A, he was going to provide a big power stick in the middle of the order, and B, that he was going to be at least a, an average first baseman defensively. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about with Julian Fonte uh, over the last couple of years when he really struggled at the bat is notwithstanding his uh, affection for coming off the bag and swipe tagging, he was a remarkably good for defensive first baseman. And that made, uh, you know, every defender other than Connor Kaiser a better defender. And the only reason why Connor didn't become a better defender is all of his throws were perfect. Uh, but guys like Ethan Paul, guys like Amar, guys like Harry Ray depend on a first baseman to clean up everything thrown their way. And we didn't see that this uh, this weekend. Then you extend that out, and it looks like we have a, a possible plus defender in right in Isaiah Thomas. He at least has a plus arm. But, you know, Cooper in left is fast. can get to a lot of things but still working on his reads and getting those jumps and center field Tate Colwick, who is, is a brand new outfielder. So there are a lot of questions there uh, about defense and how defense impacts a team that can't score a lot of runs to back it up. So if you go through a weekend where you make eight errors and hand eight extra outs to the opponents like Vanderbilt did, um, you know, it's not that surprising that yet, you went one and two in the weekend. Let me hit the pause button on a couple of things uh, because I don't want to forget to come back. The Davis thing. Okay. I watch him and I don't remember this being an issue last year, but people tend to forget things. Okay. He had a lot of trouble getting reads on the ball. It seemed like in left out on Arizona had some issues on Tuesday too, which that might've been because the, the sky was basically the color of the baseball, and out in Arizona, that could have been, uh, you know, could have been yeah, lighting, could have been. No. I just, it's on, weird. On that, I, I watch him, and I don't know what's going on there. So on that, um, I think the shortstops as well as the left fielders really were in a bad position in talking stick. Uh, the sun was. We, we played evening games at sunset each day and the sun was absolutely blinding. I wasn't out there, but you could tell 
you could see the way it looked like old. Uh, you remember Barkavision when they first started streaming, and, yes. and the, the sun was <laughs> at the right. The sun was at the right angle. It looks like uh, Hawkins Field was on Mars. At times, that's what it looked like at, at Talking Stick, uh, and it wasn't a webcam problem. It was. Uh, it, it was that the sun was right in their eye, and, and so I, I think that impacted a lot of the reads. I think there was one play in particular last night where it was pop up to to left by the line and Cooper over ran ran to the line and then had to come back and I think the reason for that is he blew a ball on Friday where a ball landed foul uh, right before the bullpen and talking stick and Cooper had given up on it and he would have made the play so it cost uh you know, I think it was Mason on the mound at the time, cost Mason a couple of extra pitches. Didn't result in, in a batter reaching or anything like that. But you can't make those mistakes where you give up on a ball and it ends up coming back. So I think he he probably got chewed out a bit. And one of the bad routes he took last night was him not going to the ball, but instead going to the wall and working back. Uh, and I would attribute it to that. So... Uh, you know he's not he's not a Gold Glove defender out there, but uh, I I would give him a little bit of a pass on uh, the reads and, uh, due to the the tough conditions. And then of course last night it was really raining, so uh, you know probably not that easy to get a good read again. Yeah, I like your explanation because, like I said, I don't remember that being an issue really for him last year. I don't remember a lot of bad reads. And left field is not the easiest place to play with that wall. So the fact that I don't remember a lot of gaffes from that is probably pretty telling. Um, The other main thing that I want to focus in on is that third starting pitcher because Jake Eater got that spot. If you had asked me a few days before – opening day in fact I did say this I thought that Ethan Smith would be the guy Ethan Smith will instead get the ball on Wednesday we were doing this Wednesday and of course Ethan pitched in relief I believe in the Connecticut game he uh, did but and uh, no sorry in the uh he, he pitched in relief, the Michigan uh, game Kumar in yeah. the uh Michigan game or no 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 or, uh, sorry of in, of Mason in the yes Michigan yes game. but either way he did he did pitch in relief and then he didn't he throw good. again yeah and he, and he looked good Either the issue we kept hearing was just inability to throw strikes, which I don't really understand because he was so much better at that last year. Maybe it's just a it's a mid-February thing and some pitchers take longer uh, to get into a groove than others. But that was, of all the things I saw over the weekend, you know, we talked about defense at first. I think that's overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly the most concerning thing, but... I think it's fixable, especially since we don't know what they have in Keegan. But the thing with Eater, now look, he can get replaced on the weekends if that's what they want to do. It's obvious they have capable arms. We haven't talked about lighter yet. We'll get into that. Ethan Smith could go in that spot. But you also need an experienced lefty in the bullpen. And so that's where Eater's going to slot if the rotation doesn't work out. So you need to get him throwing strikes either way. Yeah, and and – so we don't forget for for later. I do want to put a little bookmark to go back in and talk to see about CJ Rodriguez, uh, definitely because I think that's that's worthwhile, and, and also the impressions of some of the other new kids like uh, like Carter Young. Um, but on the pitching, uh, you know, yeah. So I, I think I was there with you. And is it official that Ethan's going to get the start today? On, it is. On it was told that from media okay. relations. 
Okay, so uh, that's the, what we've been operating on the assumption of uh, that that we'll see Ethan and Michael Doolin as the featured pitchers, and Michael Doolin is, you know, a, a really impressive kid and one that we should expect to also contribute significantly. Uh, I, I think the the freshman arms have been nothing short of spectacular so far in the first four games of the season. And that was even before the masterful performances from Leiter and Schultz last night. But it's, uh, you know, when, when we talk about Sunday, you know, first off, let's be clear, I think everything we saw on Friday and Saturday from Mason and Kumar is same old, same old. Uh, you know, 11 innings into the season and they have a zero ERA and no one can get hits off of them. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're golden. You, you've, you've got two All-American or at least All-SEC caliber aces. Uh, the SEC is actually very deep at starting pitcher this year, which is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, Mason and Kumar sometimes aren't even making the All-SEC team, even though they were consensus All-Americans. Uh, you've got guys like Emerson Hancock. Hancock, Asa Lacey, uh, Crochet out in that silly school out east. Um, you know, a bunch of kids, a bunch of arms down in Florida that have real potential, even though they haven't really put it all together. Um, so, you know, it's a great conference for pitching, but I'll take one and two from Vanderbilt over, over any other pair. I, I guess the only one that probably comes close is Georgia with Hancock and is it Cole Wilcox on the yeah, two? Yeah, Wilcox is yeah. a two. I can't remember who their three is right now, but anyway, that's yeah. a that's a great one-two punch. But I'm with you. I don't know that. I, so that'd I, be I a tough. I, I think I would take. I think I'd take Hickman and Rocker to Wilcox and Hancock. But boy, that's a it's a fun discussion to have. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, Hancock's the real deal. He, he's a real good pitcher. Uh, you, you're you're talking about. A, a consensus All-American in Hickman, who's not necessarily as good of a draft, draft prospect, but then you've got uh, in the conversation guys, one possible 1-1 one, one this year in Hancock, possible 1-1 one, one in next year in uh, Kumar, and I, I would assume Wilcox is somewhere first rounder next year, but uh, that's that's a nice that's, that's a nice debate to have, um, but not one for, for right now. Uh, for Sunday, I think I was operating under the same assumption as you that Smith probably had uh, edged ahead of Eater. Uh, Jake had a great summer. Jake had a great fall. So I think in, in the given Eater's struggles in with control is coming back from the winter break after a sharp fall. You know, Ethan Smith had one of the best falls and springs of anyone on the team. And he looked the part on on Friday in his two inning stint in relief Mason. He sometimes on the four seam fastball, he missed arm side up, which he did a little bit of last year, uh, but flashed four pitches that could be plus the four seam fastball really crackles. It's, you know, mid nineties with life uh, The curveball when he's got it going is a nice breaker. It's pretty 12, six. Um, but the two pitches that really intrigue me are a two-seam fastball that almost moves like a changeup. It really he gets it in there, 88, 89, and with very solid uh, run and depth. And, and then he he's also mixed in a bit of a cutter, which looks actually like the two-seamer, but with a break the other way, also about 87, 88. 
And, you know, if he has those two working, he, he threw them to a batter in his second inning. I think the first batter of his second inning uh, got the two-seamer for a swinging strike on the first pitch. And then the, the cutter, uh, the guy tried to bunt on, and it was like he was baffled. It just moved in a way he wasn't expecting. So they're really exciting pitches. He's an exciting pitcher. If he gets it all together... You know, he can very be easily be someone who moves up into the first late first round or, or beginning or middle of the second round as a draft eligible sophomore this year, and more importantly, could potentially step into that Sunday role and give Vanderbilt, uh, you know, three real elite arms that would be would be really tough to beat. Well, there's a lot of good to talk about. We're going to get to that, uh, but I do want to have one more discussion and it's the Tyler Brown discussion. And look, I am Tyler Brown's biggest fan. I said on a radio show this week that I think he is basically the college baseball equivalent of Mariano Rivera as a closer. Um, I think he's anytime he's got the ball in his hands, I feel great about their chances. That said, he blew two saves to start the year and I don't, really get that concerned about it because I know the talent and I know what's between that kid's ears. But I do want to ask you, and you and I talked about this at the time with other people, that perceived overuse in the summer by Dan McDonald when he was on the national team, Team USA, any chance there's a hangover effect from any of that? So his numbers in the summer were not great for Team USA. And I was somewhat apoplectic because McDonald, who's, of course, our friendly coach up in Louisville, uh, was the head coach of Team USA. And on a roster full of All-Americans, he's trotting Tyler Brown out there for you know multi-inning appearances on back-to-back days after a long, grueling, uh, you know, a long, grueling season where, where Tyler was used a lot, particularly in Omaha. Um, I don't think he should have gone to Team USA. I think, if anything, what he should have been allowed to do was go to the Cape and and get a couple starts in, stretch out five inning appearances for maybe two or three weeks, and then shut it down. That said, to to pass up Team USA is is tough. It's such a great honor, uh, especially for a kid who's who, who who's got such a great foundation uh, and and what a good person he is. Um, I think I said on Twitter, uh, on Sunday that, you know, other than people related to me, I don't know right now that there's a kid I really want good things to happen to more than Tyler Brown. Uh, he, he's earned his work hard, he's gone through a lot in his life and you really want to see that, that kid succeed. And I think he will, um, you know, Tyler actually replied to me saying, don't worry, I'll be back. And, and. I'm not terribly worried because I think it was pretty easy to see what the issue was. Though the the part that actually concerns me the most is something that flared up with Tyler Beatty when he was here, which is, I think it was 2012, the defense behind him was shaky and you try and become a little too perfect. Uh, so that's one question I worry about for the pitching staff as a whole. Um, Tyler, in his appearance, did not, on, particularly on Friday, did not have very good defense behind him in, in the innings. I think there were a couple of errors uh, behind him. I, if I'm correct, I think um, 
the batter who reached before the two-run homer may have gotten on by uh, by error. Um, but the issue that was bigger was one of three things, which is he missed towards the middle of the plate, which is something he didn't do a whole lot of last year. When he missed, he missed slightly off, and he pretty much painted the black, which makes a big difference. Two, you know, the Michigan bats were, were very clear, um, and uh, I'm sure Cal Poly was as well. They just sat fastball. They didn't respect the slider, or rather they over-respected it and said, we're, we're not going to hit it, so we're just going to sit dead red. And if you recall, you know, Tyler's fastball got hit pretty good freshman year. And it's not like it's changed a tremendous amount. It, it, it's a good arm. It's a good fastball. But if people are looking for it and he gets too much of the plate, it can get hit. So the question is, is he tipping? And are people able to pick something up and identifying that his that there's some signal that he's giving when he's throwing a fastball? I would argue that that's could have been the case on Friday. Uh, not likely that it was the case on both Friday and Sunday because Michigan and Cal Poly are not going to pick up pitch tipping that Brownie hasn't picked up already. So the other question is pitch selection. And, uh, you know, that that's something where uh, you know, mixing up the patterns uh, and, and, and trying to be a little bit more aggressive in pitch selection uh, could could be something that that's just needed to to get him back on on tap. I would imagine that if we uh, have a lead tonight, uh, and it's not just an outrageous blowout, that we'll see Brownie come in and get an inning um, just to get get him back on straight. Uh, I imagine they didn't want to throw him last night simply because he threw Friday through Sunday, give him an extra day of rest. Let's talk about the catcher dynamic. You had C.J. Rodriguez, who I thought played exceptionally well over the weekend, especially with the bat. I mean, I know there are critiques of his defense that are probably things that my eye is not going to catch. I thought his throwing arm was fine. He blocked, I think, at least one wild pitch at some point. So you had the dynamic where I, I think it really it's kind of a three-way thing between he and Spencer Jones and Ty Duvall, and this is what I mean by this. Um. Well, and I, I would throw actually Keegan in there too because I think that Duvall, I think they would still want to be their primary catcher. Rodriguez can obviously do that. He can also DH. His bat's good enough. Jones is having some issues at first, as we talked about, but the bat looks pretty good. Uh, Keegan's bat's pretty good too, so I've just given you a lot to bite off there, but let's talk about C.J. Rodriguez and with all these moving parts that come into play as guys get healthier, how all those things shake out in terms of who sees the field and who doesn't down the line. Yeah, and unfortunately, and he was my guy, my trademark hashtag, my guy for offensive players two years ago was uh, Justin Henry Malloy. Uh, I still am high on him and, and the bat. The problem is he's a man without a position. And I think as everyone gets healthy, he's going to have more trouble getting playing much right now. It's basically restricted to the DH role. When Duvall comes back, uh, I think we'll see a principal split of catcher and DH between CJ and, and Ty. Um, I think it's abundantly clear that CJ is a top four, top five hitter on this squad. 
Uh, I think it's also abundantly clear that Ty Duval is as well. So I don't know how you uh, break down who's going to be at DH and who's going to be at catcher. I don't think it's going to be like Phil Clark, where Phil Clark caught 80% of the games and Ty caught once a week. Uh, I think it'll be probably a little more balanced than that. The question is, when is Ty going to be ready to catch? Um, to me, I think it, it he, he was moving in a way that still looked a little ginger, gingerly, I should say, to, uh, to, to me when he walked in his pinch hit appearance on Sunday. Uh, so I don't know when we're going to see him behind the plate. C.J. Rodriguez has caught every inning this year, and I don't know who's catching behind him until Ty comes back. Um, you know, I, I, I think we could be seeing uh, an unfortunate scenario where, uh, you know, we're, we're in a position where CJ can start wearing himself down early in the season, which is certainly not an ideal scenario given the, the talent we've seen. And on the defensive front, um, I think there's some improvement on footwork to be done, but it's not bad footwork. I think it's, uh, you know, a couple of instances where, I think he could have possibly shifted a little bit better to get in front of balls, but he's blocked well. So we're, we're you know we're talking on the margins here, and then on his arm, his arm clearly is very strong, but we saw some inaccuracy. Uh, I think it was Cal Poly that took advantage of a couple of doubles uh, delayed steals, which is something that uh, Vanderbilt actually used pretty well last year. And we saw CJ put a couple throws into center field. I think one of them was a late cover. The other was just a bad throw. Uh, that could be footwork related. But what's really encouraging about him is, is the, the clear talent that he's demonstrated for actually receiving the ball. And what I mean by that is, one, having the glove always moving into the zone. Uh, and, and if you look at the, the highlights that Pitching Ninja posted on, on Twitter last night, you'll see on some of those called strikes, um, you know, A, if it's not a miss, the glove doesn't move at all. That's what you want. If it is a miss, when the glove's moving, the glove's moving back into the zone. And he stole a couple of strikes, uh, you know, in, in those highlights for strike three. Jack's one walk was actually an even better frame. And it was a pitch inside that CJ brought back. Unfortunately, the, the ump was right on top of it. And it was, it was not a, a pitch that you were going to get framed back, but it was a really, really nice job. Uh, the one critique may be making sure the glove's not always moving, but only framing on on pitches that are, are frankly, stealable. Um, the other thing he, that I've seen him do well with the curve, particularly with Eater, was figuring out where you're receiving it. If it's a pitch that's coming in low, you try and steal that pitch by catching it for, further from your body. If you're because that way you're getting it before it drops to its its low point. Whereas if it's a pitch that's high, you catch it close to your body, so you're not catching it at the apex. You're letting it continue to drop, and you have the perception that it's been in the zone. And that's a tough skill to pick up. And, and CJ seems to be doing that pretty well through some early sights. So. You know, really excited about CJ. <laughs> to be frank, you know, we've never really had an opportunity to see Ty Duval spend a lot of time behind the plate. He's just sort of had to deal with a tremendous amount of injuries throughout his career, whether it was Tommy John senior year of high school to, you know, I think he had a knee and a hamstring last year and he's starting this year with a hamstring. Uh, you know, it, it's been a, a litany of things that have kept him 
from being behind the dish. I think we'll see him get some time behind the dish, but it wouldn't shock me if CJ is the primary defensive catcher and Ty is the primary DH. And so what that means is, which you were alluding to earlier, then we've got Dom Keegan coming back with Spencer Jones. Do they drop into a platoon at at first base? And, uh, you know, if so, what happens there? Well, then your odd man out probably ends up being Jay Henmeloy again, which is unfortunate for Justin. Well, that's an interesting point about the platoon at first. I hadn't thought about that because I don't know that they've ever done that since Tim Corbin has been there. And he's not really much a platoon guy anyway. But um, shame on me. I feel like I buried the lead. We've gone this long and haven't talked about Jack Leiter, which was not intentional. It's just kind of how we got into discussing things. But let me just Jack read who? you the scorecard. Uh, what did I say? Jack, Jack who? Jack, Jack Leiter? Jack Leiter, he, yes. he related to someone? Ah, uh, maybe. I hear. I mean... My best friend, Al. <laughs> There's a couple people I know that are vying for the title of my best friend, Al. Uh, Mitch Light might be another one. but So here's a scorecard from his debut. Strikeout swinging, strikeout looking, strikeout swinging. That's the first. Second, F7, strikeout swinging, strikeout looking. Third inning, strikeout looking, strikeout swinging, strikeout looking. Fourth inning, strikeout swinging, 4-3. Walk, and then F7, and then fifth inning, strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging. Fastball and the slider both looked really good. I thought he was great at hitting the inner edge of the plate. What can you add to all that? And it helps if you don't have your mute on. It does help if I don't have him you don't. Oh, I would add Thomas Schultz because uh, I don't think we should ignore Thomas's. Uh, yes, and I, I want to get to him and Laboki later, but I want to hit lighter for just a second. Yeah, and so you look at the so Jack threw five innings. You look at D one publishes uh, daily top performers list, which goes by game score. Uh, Jack had a seventy eight game score in five innings. That's bonkers. That's bonkers. That again. Uh, What's that? What was the game score? The game score was 78 in just five innings. What was Rockers game score for the Rockers? I want to say it's what was 104 or something like that. But the thing is, one part of the game score that gets up to high numbers is when you throw innings beyond the fifth. You get extra points. Yeah. Under the Bill James formula. So for someone to get a 78 in five innings. Uh, you know, going back, I think the max possible score for a game score other than four strikeout innings, so assuming no wild pitches, the max possible score would be 82, and he had a 78. Goodness gracious. And that's against a team that can hit, by the way. Yeah. People don't know. And they, they wouldn't know from last, last night because, as I pointed, I got on Aaron Fitz's case and D1's case this morning because I ran the numbers on myself. So Jack led the country in game score last night at 78. Uh, A kid from San Diego had a 73. Then you had two kids, Oklahoma State and Dallas Baptist, with 67s. And then guess who had the fifth best per pitching performance uh, by game score last night? And it rarely happens that a relief pitcher does it, but Thomas Schultz. Had a Crazy. 65 Crazy. with four innings, two hits, seven strikeouts. Uh, so, you know, uh, mazel tov to both of, of those kids. Uh, 
they, they were just lights out. Um, you know, Jack is this talented, uh, and it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you sort of reckon back to uh, the game everyone still talks about, which weirdly with Kumar probably isn't the night strikeout game. It's actually Oklahoma State game fall where Oklahoma State, I mean, they were similar performances. And obviously very, very, was, yeah. What, the, the Duke game was in a setting where Rocker was going to be extended out for 130 pitches and the 100th pitch was just as dominating first. Not to imply the Duke performance wasn't the greatest athletic achievement in their history because I think it'd be hard-pressed to, to argue anything could compete with that. Even you know, senior night at Mississippi State. Uh, that said, you know, the, the time where Kumar had stuff, three innings, struck out eight of the nine batters. One batter had, I think, a foul pop out. And I think there were only two balls that were even fouled off. And, you know, everyone just came away from that and saying, whoa. And that was kind of like Jack. Uh, last night, not to that same degree, because I don't think, you know, I think Jack might actually have a better fastball than Kumar, uh, more more life to it. But Jack doesn't have Kumar's slider. What did impress beyond the fact that he had better control than he's had in his uh, fall and spring starts today or fall and spring appearances, I should say, today was he flapped a slider that I, I didn't realize how effective it could be. And that was really his best pitch last night. Uh, you know, people weren't getting a hold of it. And, and you could see uh, the, the shape and the bite and the speed of, of the slider and the curve were really, really different. And both were effective pitches. So really, really outstanding. That said, let's, let's level set and with the expectations. Jack's not going to be Kumar versus Duke every time out. I think I'd like to see him stay in the midweek role. Uh, that worked really well for us with Walker Bueller. It doesn't prevent him from being in a position to to step into a starting role when you start needing four sliders in the postseason, four starters in the postseason. But I think that's you know a nice place to bring him along. I would not surprise me if he's on a strict pitch count walk, uh, pitch count watch all year. Um, he's not the biggest guy. Kumar is 6'5", 250. You can let a horse like that run a little bit longer than you might with a kid who's you know, 6'1", 190. I'm just thinking like 20 years from now, what's the discussion of best midweek starter in Vanderbilt baseball history going to look like? Yeah, well, I mean, there's one who's a Cy Young favorite right now. That's so. what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, he did it for uh, what two? Well, the first year he didn't even pitch in the midweek. I don't think I mean, he got some starts, I guess. But um, you know, the national title year. Well, no, Fulmer I was think, closing think, that year. It was his last year. I think he he didn't pitch he in the rotation the, he, in the weekend rotation until his junior year. I don't think. And he was the Sunday starter his junior year. Right. I mean, it's not. It's crazy. Was Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, but with lighter, you know, one thing I want to, uh, just quickly mention for a moment that there, there were some really great tweets last night. Um, you know, Al lighter this morning actually had a, a really nice tweet talking about how pride, how, how, how much pride it gave him and how Jack's performance was way better than anything he's ever done. 
but the ones I want to focus on instead are are two uh, two other ones where Kirk Herbstreet writes to Al, congratulations on such a great start. Jack looks like he's going to have his have many days ahead of him similar to this. And what an incredible program and life changing coach he's playing for. Look forward to watching Big Jack pitch this spring. Hope to see you at the ballpark. Herbie is a big fan of variable baseball and a great advocate for uh, for Coach Corbin. And the other one, of course, is uh, everyone's favorite governor, Chris Christie, who chimed in with not one but two tweets in support of uh, of Jack. Uh, the the second of which was um, Jack Leiter bringing the heat. I'm sure his dad Al Leiter is proud and watching intensely. To which Al did reply somewhere, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, the bridge is closed for batters at the Hawk. For, for all intents and purposes. Um, Thomas Schultz had bad timing, and what I mean by that is he entered the game about the time my babysitter left yesterday. So I got to see it, but I don't know how much I really saw it, if you catch what I'm putting down. So what did you think? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, was, I was actually unable to watch a good portion of the game because I was stuck on the Long Island Railroad and – uh, there are pockets of dead spots, particularly in Penn Station itself. But I did get a, a chance to see a little bit of Schultz's performance. And he, he really he's a big kid, good playing on the mound. Um, I, I think he's taken steps from the fall. And the stuff was clearly premium. Um, I, I think location is something we're going to have to watch for. And he had it last night. Four innings, no walks, two hits, seven Ks, and, and a whole lot of swing and miss. And you know, you kind of kind of go back to this, and we'll see what South Alabama can do tonight against Ethan Smith and Michael Dolan. Uh, you know, that's 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 not like <laughs> the fact that Vanderbilt's fifth fifth game of the week. You're rolling out, uh, you know, a, a kid who could be a fringy first round arm like Ethan Smith, and then a kid like Michael Dolan, who's a, a top 100 prospect. Uh, you know, that that's you kind of feel bad for him, but but South Alabama should be a team that gets into the regional discussion, whether or not they're a regional team. They didn't hit over this past weekend in winning two out of three versus Campbell. I think it was Campbell. Came into this this week, midweek series, with something like a 220 team batting average. I'd note we came into it with a 240 batting average, so, you know, glass houses and whatnot. But we'll see uh, a few weeks from now how good a hitting team South Alabama is uh, and assume it's not just, um, you know, it's not just uh, Jack and, and Thomas and Ethan and, and Michael being hot like through butter or let, let's see if, if, if South Alabama can actually rake. Well, their top four hitters from a year ago are back, including Ethan Wilson, who was the, I believe the conference player of the year in the Sun Belt as a freshman last year in a, major draft prospect too, I think for two years from now. I don't think he's a draft-eligible sophomore, but uh, my man, I know we both need to probably go. We've left some material on the table. Sam Laboki was one I wanted to get to. We'll just do that another day. But uh, you are the self-appointed unofficial tweeter. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at VU Hawk Talk on Twitter. And uh, me and our other buddy, uh, Chris Mahaffey, are, are both unofficial tweeters uh, and, and try and provide a lot of uh, in-game commentary and, and 
a heck of a lot of retweets often of each other. It's all just a feedback loop. But uh, you know, it's 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 always fun. We both follow uh, the uh, the team intently, and uh, it, it's a fun, engaging Twitter atmosphere, particularly when things are going well. Uh, and, and just one last thing, one last point I'll make before we step off is it, it's so much fun to watch Cooper Davis hit. Uh, I know, he, you know, he may not be the, the defender that Tony Kemp was, but I think he's probably the player who most reminds me of Tony offensively, even though he's got a little bit more oomph and lift to his swing. doesn't hurt that he plays in an era of post-BB Corlo seams, but uh, you know, we saw him bunt for hits. We saw him, you know, with a double and a triple. Uh, he's just fun to watch at the top of the order and uh, really happy he's healthy and, and ready to go gangbusters this year. Thank you, sir. Thank you. He is New York Door. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll have more episodes dropping later this week.